Well, let's turn to the letter of the Hebrews together. Actually, we've identified this as more of a sermon uh, in the New Testament uh, to the Hebrews. We don't know who this preacher or pastor is. We don't know who the exact audience is uh, that he's writing to, but we know he loves them. We know that he cares uh, for this beloved congregation. He wants to uh, encourage them to hold fast to their confession and to do that in the only way that they can. And that is to fix eyes of faith uh, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he rightly elevates Christ uh, as superior to Moses. Jesus is superior to all the angelic hosts. He is the final and superior word of God to his people. Uh, And the great high priest who continues to intercede uh, for the children of God. But before the preacher talks more about the role of Jesus as high priest and his intercession Uh, for the church, he interrupts that train of thought um, and and gives this warning because he sees something or hears something that's uh, troubling him from from this this group. Some of them are, maybe most of them, are approaching this spiritual cliff um, in danger of walking away from Jesus and the hope that they profess. Um, But thankfully, he doesn't, just end the warning without some encouragement. Uh, He's not intending to scare them. He's not trying to undermine the assurance that uh, is theirs in the Lord. He wants them to cling to Christ. And he anticipates this. He seems confident that they will do this um, in times of of great joy, when things seem to be going well, in times of great difficulty. So he has this expectation for the flock, that they will grow up, that they will grow into, um, into their faith. And uh, well, here's just a little note before we read the passage. Your pastor desires the same thing of you. Um, all the, the, the elders are under shepherds in the church. Um, right here at Trinity Fellowship, we feel sure of better things that you will continue to mature and grow, as the Apostle Paul says, to excel still more in faith and obedience uh, to the Lord. Uh, So like the preacher here, the Hebrews, we believe that the Spirit of God is at work in Trinity Fellowship. We believe that, and we believe He will continue that work uh, in each of you for the glory of Christ. So I could say amen right there, but that would get us out way too early. And there's a lot more uh, from this passage Uh, So he ends this little interruption with a word of assurance, uh, reminding them that their assurance is, uh, it is very strong and immovable. So I'm going to read again, beginning at 6.11, and go through the end of the chapter. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is God's holy and enduring word. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask that as you draw near to us now, you would illumine our hearts by the very power of your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our eyes of faith, the eyes of our hearts to see just how sure and steadfast your love for us is, how sure and steadfast are your promises. Lord, we need help to see this, to interpret it and apply it rightly in our lives, and we trust that you will do this, that you will accomplish all that you have set out to do through your word. And so we thank you and praise you for this gift of your word. Impress it upon our hearts now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Kathy Kedrick uh, is remembered for her reporting skills. She uh, would report in the aftermath of um, natural disasters Um, and she's remember going all the way back to the mid 70s it started with hurricane Eloise this was 1975 Uh, ripped through um, uh, the gulf and a portion of the the Florida panhandle was was just wrecked by this hurricane Kathy was there reporting on on the aftermath and what residents were doing to clean up and five years later uh, she was there for uh, the eruption of Mount St. Helens uh, in Washington Later that same year that Mount St. Helens erupted, there was uh, Hurricane Allen, which hit the, uh, I guess the East Coast, Corpus Christi, uh, in Texas. And then a couple of years later, in 1982, she was on the ground reporting in Hawaii, uh, Hurricane Iowa uh, in Hawaii. Uh, And then within a year, 1983, there was a 6.7 magnitude earthquake in Coalinga, California. Well, guess who's there? Kathy's there reporting Uh, on this uh, damage to the Central Valley there. And then in 89, the Loma Prieta earthquake. Now, I remember this one because I was getting ready to watch the A's and the Giants at Candlestick Park. And all of a sudden, things, you know, went blank on the screen and and it shook that that stadium. Um, But Kathy was there to report on that earthquake. But what you may find interesting is that uh, Kathy's not a professional reporter. Uh, All of her reporting was found in her uh, journal, as she wrote these things down. You see, as the wife of a Navy pilot, she was not there after these things happened. She was there on the ground before each one of these natural disasters took place, living in those places. Um, And I don't know if if Kathy Kedrick has has an enduring faith at all, but I imagine with that type of experience that she had some questions. Maybe some questions. Uh, uncertainty and doubts Um, why would these things be happening to her in every place that she has moved Um, what is going on here Uh, what is it about her uh, to be a part of all of these natural disasters and so your experience and mine may not be quite like uh, calamity Kathy as she has um, been given the nickname but I expect that We've had our fair share of doubts. Um, 
wondering what God is doing, why things are unfolding the way that they are now. Uh, Maybe we find our assurance of God's faithfulness, assurance of God's care actually waning at times. Um, When we actually doubt His wisdom and we doubt His goodness. Um, And we need to hear that, that doubts are real. Sometimes we may doubt very intensely. So don't, don't think that you are somehow weird or strange for having doubts. Um, and it may not be from a string of natural disasters like this. But it could be from something else. Maybe it's persistent illness, string of disappointments. We're just not as confident and assured uh, that God uh, holds us. That He really knows what He's doing. I mean, we, we might know that here, right? But do we really believe that? So this passage really speaks into those moments of doubt and uncertainty. It speaks into those days where we doubt. We need to be reminded, just like the early church here, of where our hope rests. We need need to know what is sure, what is steady, what is dependable when nothing else seems to be. So the preacher gives an example of a faith and patience that inherits the promises of God. This we see in Abraham. And that wraps uh, into the basis for hope, encouragement to hold fast uh, to the hope that is ours right now. And so we're going to, to look at this example of enduring faith and then the basis for hope. Enduring faith and the basis for hope. So if you're going to use a character from the Old Testament or life experience from the Old Testament and you are speaking to a primarily Jewish audience, there is no, no better place to start. No better character than Abraham. Abraham is the uh, Old Testament patriarch, the father of the Jewish people. Because he had established, because God had established uh, a covenant with Abraham. And you may remember, it was a, a, a promise to bless Abraham, to multiply his offspring, and even bless the whole earth through his offspring. We read about this in Genesis chapter 12. So Abraham is 75 years young at this point. His wife, uh, Sarah, is barren. They have no children when the Lord makes this covenant promise to him. And Abraham believes the Lord and he waits. Um, sometimes he does not wait all that patiently. Sometimes he takes matters into his own hands. Sometimes his belief is just fraying at the edges The Lord, how are you going to do this? I have no offspring. This makes no sense. And so the Lord seals His covenant in Genesis 15, passing through the pieces of the animal and gives assurance to Abraham, his name was still Abram at that point, that he would fulfill his promise. And He gives a sign of the covenant in Genesis 17. And then in Genesis 22, He reinforces this covenant to Abraham and that is the background for what we see here in verses 14 and 15. This is the greatest test that Abraham will ever face. Maybe you remember what happens here. God God tells Abraham to take his only son Isaac and to make a sacrifice on a mountain that the Lord would show him in the land of Moriah. But it wasn't an animal sacrifice. He was to sacrifice his only son. Uh, So now Abraham is 100 years old. He and Sarah, they've waited all of their married life, but at least 25 years since a promise has been made. 
for this child to come along. Um, So if there's ever a time for Abraham to doubt, this is it. To doubt God's plan, to doubt God's uh, wisdom and goodness. It's right here. I mean, I think if we're hearing this, or if I'm hearing this, I'm kind of putting my fingers in my ears, saying that this can't be happening, Lord, I I can't hear you. Um, This doesn't make any sense. I was reading one comment this last week. So that Abraham had to turn his back on his past when leaving the land of Ur, and now it looked as if he would have to turn his back on his future. Past and the future. Just imagine the courage and the trust of Abraham to go through with something like this. He knew the Lord, or at least he knew enough about the character of God to somehow override the doubt. When everything within him is screaming, this can't be happening. Before the knife comes down, he's actually going to slay his own son. The Lord stops him. Because Abraham had proven his trust in the Lord. And because of that obedience, the Lord assures him This is what God says in Genesis 22. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And so the Lord provides a ram to sacrifice in Isaac's place. And these animal sacrifices we know are going to continue until one day Isaac was sacrificed. A better Isaac. A true Isaac. Offered up by his father who did not withhold his only son as a sacrifice for you and for me. But the Lord swears by himself. We'll talk more about that in a second. So Abraham could have absolute confidence and assurance that God would fulfill his promise. In verse 15, it says that having waited patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, Abraham's not going to see offspring like the sand on the seashore. He's not going to see offspring like all the stars you see in the heavens. And yet it says he, he obtained the promise. Well, he obtained this promise by holding Isaac, by seeing Isaac. It was at Isaac's birth and then... Again, the Lord giving Isaac back, almost like a rebirth on the top of that mountain, that he obtains the promise. So he would not actually receive all that God has promised to him. We hear that in Hebrews 11. But he obtained the promise in Isaac, a promise that could not fail, that would not fail. That was given to him. So here's an example of um, enduring faith in the promise uh, that God makes to Abraham. But it's not just to Abraham. Maybe you caught that as we were reading these verses. Now, this covenant, this promise of blessing, of multiplying, of extending the Lord's shalom to the nations is a promise God makes to the offspring of Abraham. Verse 17, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. So this promise made to Abraham is a promise of blessing to his heirs. Who are the heirs of promise? Who are the children of Abraham? The Apostle Paul helps us understand this. Places like Romans chapter 9, where he writes, It's not as though the word of God has failed. 
For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, meaning biological offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So heirs of the promise are not all ethnic Jews. Heirs of the promise are spiritual offspring. So this is the new covenant family of faith. Under the new covenant, it is God's people who share that continuity with Abraham as heirs to this promise. So the assurance given to Abraham is an assurance to you and me, to the people of God. We have a promise that God will fulfill His blessing of Abraham with that singular offspring uh, we see in Genesis through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. And this is why Jesus Himself could say to uh, the Jews who were questioning Him, John chapter 8, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. He saw it through Isaac. Abraham is is looking forward. He gets a a window to Christ in whom all that was promised to him would be fulfilled. So church family, believers in the Lord Jesus, that promise is to us and it has not failed. We can have every confidence that God is going to fulfill His word. And so we wait patiently. I mean, Abraham had to know Know the character of his covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. If we're going to have a greater assurance, if we're going to get up tomorrow and expect to, to, to face our doubts, find relief in some way from those doubts, then we must know our God well. We must know his character. We must know what it is he loves, what it is he values. We'll need to spend time with him in order to know Him well. You need to spend time in His Word, in prayer, to know Him and abide with Him. We'll need to spend time with our spiritual family members, fellow pilgrims on this journey, that we might know God and, and, and keep our eyes fixed on the path that He has laid out before us. So we have an example here of enduring faith that moves us right into the basis for this faith and hope God makes this promise to Abraham, to the offspring, and then he adds an oath to the promise. This is where the preacher is arguing again from the lesser to the greater. Uh, If human oaths are to be taken seriously, if human oaths are a big deal, then how much more an oath that God takes? So when we see a witness approach the stand in in court, see they'd raise their right hands and put their, their left hand on the Bible, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Um, So by by taking that oath, that doesn't mean that what they're about to say is true. It doesn't mean that. What what it means is it gives the, the judge and the jurors and all those who are listening more confidence and assurance that what is about to be said is true. So an oath appeals to that higher authority, the one who will hold 
the one taking the oath accountable. Um, see, as human beings, we take oaths because we're not all that trustworthy. Um, we say things and then don't follow through. We make promises and don't, don't keep them. So we take oaths to give some level of assurance and confidence. Um, but what if God takes an oath? Are we here in Genesis 22, another place? We hear this is in Psalm 110. It's a verse that the preacher is going to come back to. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What authority does the creator God appeal to to hold him accountable to his word? He has to appeal to himself. He has to swear by himself. There's no higher authority. God is eternal. He's unchanging. Our God is constant in His character and His words. There is nothing more certain in all of created order, nothing more certain in all of eternity than the character and word of God. We take oaths because we can't be trusted, but God cannot lie. He's incapable of lying. So there's no one more trustworthy than God. So why does God take an oath? He swears by Himself for Abraham's sake. He takes this oath, he swears by himself for our sake, for our confidence and our assurance. Think what a gift this is. What a marvelous grace of God to do this when he doesn't have to, but he does. He takes an oath to seal his promise. You know, just a simple illustration here would be kind of like the difference between a personal check and a certified check or a cashier's check. You write that personal check and the, the seller receives this, you know, hoping when he cashes it, the, the money will be there in the account. When you have a cashier's check, you know, the buyer already gives that money to the bank and the bank writes the check so that when the seller receives that, they know. Well, that, that money's already there, the taking. There's, there's an assurance that comes with that. So God's promise is sealed by this oath. It's already done. It's already in the bank. Sure to be. I mean, God knows that we doubt. He knows that we struggle to believe His promises. So He takes an oath. It's just this other layer for us. Um, There's two unchangeable things in verse 18. They, They come from this. The first thing that is unchangeable is His very character. He cannot lie. He does not change His mind. When he makes a promise that is as good as done. And the second unchangeable thing is the oath that he makes for the sake of Abraham and for his offspring. Here we go back to Genesis 15. The Lord gives Abraham such assurance that he communicates this. I will will be cut in two like these animals. I will die if I do not deliver this promise for you and your offspring. Now this may or may not surprise you, but the eternal, transcendent, omnipotent creator God cannot die. He cannot lie and he cannot die. Those are the two unchangeable things that should give us the greatest confidence and hope in the face of doubt. We keep going, right? We keep going because we believe that God will keep his promises, right? Not one of his promises has failed. 
They cannot fail because he cannot lie and he cannot die. That should be very encouraging for us who fly, fly to, to Christ for refuge in our doubts, in our fears, in our hurts. We see that Jesus is the only source of hope and salvation, the only one who will satisfy our souls. Every confidence of this. So the hope of Abraham, the hope of his offspring is the anchor of the soul. It's a familiar picture in verse 19. Anchors that picture of stability. It's immovable. Holds the ship from drifting. This is our hope. That's what he's talking about. Our hope is immovable. And I think that's different than, than the way we often use hope or hear hope used. You know, we hope that our favorite football team will beat someone else's favorite football team. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of wishful thinking. Well, maybe this will happen and maybe it won't. If it does, great. If not, well, there's always next year, right? Um, the hope that we have is an anchor. Uh, it anticipates what is sure to be. And this is like the child who, who asks mom or dad for a Christmas present. Maybe there's some of that happening around your circles right now. And they ask mom or dad for a scooter. And a couple of weeks later, the child is, is peeking out the window and, and he, he or she sees this wrapped present and it's got a long shaft and there's a, what looks to be like a handlebar and there's some wheels at the bottom. It's all wrapped up. But then mom or dad quickly you know, moves it into the garage. Okay, that child has a hope, but it's not wishful thinking anymore. It's hope that's grounded. Um, something that is sure to be. There's confidence so our relationship to God is, is grounded. It could not be more secure. I want to read for you how the Scottish Puritan Samuel Rutherford describes our hope. Our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread as I imagine so, or it is likely, but the cable, the strong rope of our fastened anchor is the oath and promise of Him who is eternal. Our salvation is fastened with God's own hand and Christ's own strength to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature. A sure and steadfast anchor. But the hope is more than a metaphor. In the text we see this. It's, it's, look, look at what this hope does in verse 19. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So if you can, you can visualize sp- spatially here, we've got an anchor, we're in the boat, and we can... You know, throw that anchor over the side and it descends, lands at the bottom. But in this case, you know, where we're taking the anchor is if we're, we're sort of throwing that anchor up. And it's ascending, it's landing in the throne room of the king, in that most holy place. Our hope is as near to God as it could be. I think about this from another angle. For our hope to draw near to God, for hope to enter into any place, to enter into that place behind the curtain, it must have legs to enter in. So hope is personified here, and the personification of hope actually takes on flesh and blood. Jesus is the anchor. He is the hope of the Christian. Lord Jesus is our forerunner. He's paved the way so that we can... Uh, draw near to the presence of God. So if we want assurance in times of doubt, if we want steadfast hope, 
It's not going to be found here within ourselves. We must look outside of ourselves, outside of our situation or circumstances and look to Christ. Our seat before the throne of God is secure. We are made safe by the finished work of our high priest who goes before us. So be encouraged. Be encouraged to wait patiently on the Lord. Waiting is that place between God's promise and the fulfillment of that promise. We're in here waiting patiently. He will provide. He will deliver. Again, on His in His way, on His timetable. And so we wait with steadfast hope on the Lord. Is your faith firmly fixed upon Christ? Because if your hope is in anyone or anything else, it will fail you eventually. But if your hope, your anchor is Christ, then it will hold. He's gone before you. He takes us into the very presence of of the Holy One. In the next several weeks, we're going to look upon, we're going to celebrate uh, the fulfillment of God's promise in the coming of His Son. He has kept His promise to bless the nations through Abraham's seed. Um, we celebrate this. We fix our eyes, our hope in the Lord Jesus. So all the promises of God, um, they find their yes in Jesus. And that is why it is through Him, through Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that You are not just a covenant-making God, but one who keeps Your covenant. Lord, we thank You that you have, we, we have seen You fulfill this covenant and in giving the land to Your people of old. And Lord, You are our delivering your people even now uh, through the shed blood of Christ, freeing us uh, from the slavery of our sin and taking us to that eternal promised land, our hope and glory. Lord, help us to fix our eyes upon Christ, the very anchor of our soul. Could there be anything more sure, more steady, more immovable than this hope? Lord, comfort us, draw near in our times of doubt and uncertainty and fear with a full assurance that you are not only with us, but you have gone before us, leading the way to our eternal home. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.